And welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast. Uh, hi, Phil. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much, Andrew. Are you enjoying National Curry Week? Um, oh, gosh. I haven't realised. I've not had one yet. All right. Better get my Which order in. don't have one. And here's a quiz question. I'll give you the answer maybe at the end. What is the highest stack of poppadoms ever been made? <laughs> How tall? I don't, I don't know. I'll, tell you, I'll give you the answer next, I'll... otherwise I'll forget. It's 1.72 metres. That's a lot of poppadoms. That's nearly the height of... Hey, you could do your own height in poppadoms. Why can't I think? Can we? Anyway. Uh, something <laughs> like that. And have you been to see James Bond? No, not yet. But it's had fantastic reviews. Uh, it was great. I loved it. I could go and watch it again. But I love it. Anyway, look, you know, we should probably let's uh, turn actually to um, tech and transitional energy. Uh, it's been a hell of a week, this market for the space, isn't it? It's um, been all over, all over the shop, really. I mean, at the beginning of the week, transitional energy stocks got absolutely smacked. I mean, I look at some of the American ones. I mean, lithium cycle was down 8%. Globe was down 75 Nano One down over six, Array Technologies down seven, Blink Charging down six, Workhorse down six, Ballard Power down six. It, it was horrible. And a lot of the UK yeah. stocks got hit too. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we know that there's this sort of you know huge global concern. There's big geopolitical things going on. Interest rates are going up. Inflation's coming in. We've got the gas crisis, the fuel crisis in the UK. I mean, it's, it's all... And it's October, you know, it always goes wrong in October, doesn't it? Um, yep. So it's been quite a week. Uh, and obviously the UK stocks in tech and transitional energy also got absolutely clobbered. Um, it requires a bit of a, a, a brave heart at the moment, I think, to just hang on in there. It, it does. A case of the classic seen through the doom. Um, and a lot of it is all about, you, you know, inflation is uh, or the you know the risk the risk of inflation um and i'm sure you know you, you and i probably remember double digit in, in inflation some of investors do but this is the first time for many many years that um you know inflation has been seen as a as a bit of a risk and uh, of course for those for a lot of the companies especially on the tech side where the you know the their values valuations are based on discounted cash flow forecasts um obviously the interest rates impact the discount rates uh, and hence some of the volatility on the tech side. But it's an unusual situation, isn't it, Andrew? Because at the moment, we're, you know, everyone's trying to recover from the pandemic and that's driving all sorts of stresses on the supply chain and, and getting hold of employees. Um, and it's a case of, you know, is this, is it really a longer term thing or is this something that we're going to get through in you know, a relatively short space of time? Well, I, I tell you what, I am now starting to see. I mean, we've talked about inflation and, and supply chains for a long time here, pointing out that you know, probably today inflation in the UK is running in double figures, I reckon over 10%. But actually what we are starting to see already, and I'm hearing from CEOs that I talk to around the market, and I talk to a lot of different sorts of CEOs, not just in the, the sectors that we cover, um, that actually they are seeing demand slightly coming off because the consumer, is, is you know, his pocket is going to get smaller. And demand will come off, and because of that, what will happen, of course, is that then the the commodity prices will come off, um, and you'll get a, a, a actually because we've accelerated so quickly upwards, you get an acceleration downwards, and actually it probably will resume back to normal. Although I think the supply chains will take until the middle of next year uh, to really get back to normal. But I think if the central banks globally, who appear to be determined to try and keep things pretty controlled, can hold their nerve. 
and just let interest rates maybe go up a tiny bit. Um, by the middle of next year, I think we will see it back under control again. There's a prediction. That's a, that, that's a very, very interesting thought, particularly on the consumer side, the consumer spend, because what was, I always remember is that the US economy, that the consumer spends on like 70% of the US economy, but it has a huge bearing on the economy. So if behaviour changed, and of course, you've had all that pent-up savings, haven't you, post during the uh, pandemic period, and people haven't necessarily well, been spending on e-commerce, as we know. But not necessarily, you know, a lot of money's being saved up. So some of that's kind of, you know, that's flushed through as well. Interesting. That's an interesting thought. Uh, there is there is pent up savings, but you know that doesn't mean so they have to be spent. Some people may decide actually, you know, we've made the savings for a deliberate reason. Um, and again, it also depends where you're going to spend it, um, because you know whether you're spending it on big ticket items or small yep. ticket items. Uh, you know, one big ticket item obviously counts for a lot of small ticket items. So you know, you have to get a bit of a feel across the whole piece, shall we say. Um, anyway, I would say in the meantime, though, mm. uh, actually, I mean, again, results, of course, are always backwards looking and not really forwards looking, although companies do give an outlook statement. But in general, I would say that the results coming through still are still looking pretty good. Um, there seems to be what I describe as a cautious optimism still um, coming through from companies. Yeah, and I think when results are good under difficult circumstances, it means when things ease, the results can be even better. Um, and, and that's a you know real driver of share prices. Mm. Anyway, there we go. That's a little bit of macro there. Hopefully that's anybody listening that's been helpful. Um, now, also, it's maybe just, uh, well, let's touch base on a few of our, our corporates, shall we, Phil, and also a little bit of a story that we've been looking at that goes along with them. But uh, we were appointed as broker to S Ventures, um, actually at the very back end of last week. Uh, S Ventures are basically a, a buy and build brand company. Um, ticket is S-V-E-N. Uh, we think that it's got a very talented management team run by Scott Livingston, um they're basically building uh, and buying brands in the sort of the food well what i describe as the kitchen and the bedroom um so they've got some interesting ones already but they've obviously got some more targeted along we think it's going to be a very exciting ride and obviously it's the spec we like the brand space we're doing an awful lot um then also our other client samarkand which obviously is e-commerce and brands uh, they did a big deal in South Korea, didn't they, Phil? Yeah, it's uh, it's e-commerce technology, and you know this is they are a client of ours. I think it's SMK. It's Aquas listed. It's hundred million market cap, um, and it's they've got a cross-border e-commerce software platform. Um, and these are you know look at the US market valuations. These are highly valued, um, and, and clearly theirs is 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 getting highly valued by their clients. I mean they they want to contract in South Korea. They recently opened offices in Japan. Um, they specialize in the Asian markets for e-commerce, but uh, the client, the one I'm Pacific, um, has beauty and personal care brands. It's a market, it's a listed company on the South Korean Stock Exchange, market cap of over 7 billion. And 20% of its sales are into the Chinese consumer base. And, and investors may remember that software 
uh, links in with all the main e-commerce platforms in China, the logistics systems, you know, the customs and government systems, it makes it happen. It makes makes it easier for brands to get into the China market. And and uh, and this company in South Korea is looking at a lot of its sales are through through third parties. It's moving to new direct sales, and for that it needs software. And the software it's using and has chosen to use is Samacans. So it shows the you know shows the power of their proposition. Mm. All right, look, I think a lot more news to come out of Samacand as well that's going to be take the stock price a lot higher. But the reason that actually I think we've also been having a little bit of an interesting debate recently between um, aggregators uh, and accelerators in the whole e-commerce brand space. Um, and there's been a lot of what I, I would define as, or I think most people would define as aggregators out there who obviously are trying to aggregate all the e-commerce platforms to sort of... Um, give you a better access to, uh, to things like, you know, Amazon, et cetera. You probably understand this better than I do. But we're moving away, I think, from aggregators, aren't we, to accelerators. Um, but there's a huge amount of money being raised here. Now, actually, Samarkand is basically a hybrid between an accelerator and an aggregator, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So so the aggregators um, acquire brands, a very large portfolio of brands, and then, Know, sell those over the, the, the major e-commerce marketplaces. The accelerators uh, have the brands, but are very, very focused on examining um, the sales within the brands to see where they can make changes to the sales pro- profile. So it's got proper marketing analysis of what they've got in those brand portfolios to specifically accelerate sales on platforms. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, p- Maybe this is a. I think the this is a six trillion dollar e-commerce market globally, isn't it? I mean, the size of this is huge, uh, which is yeah. why our client Samacan has so much potential because they are so well set up and able to do things that just these other people can't do. And you know, they're a lot of them are US. These people, um, you know, they're, they're the aggregators of people like Thorisio, Berlin, Perch. Uh, you've got. Accelerators like Patton, Packable, Spreetail, Netrush, you know, they are raising hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars on massive valuations in America. And yet, actually, none of them, in my view, are as good as Samarkand. Um, we do have our own little problems in the UK. Obviously, the Hut Group is still getting smashed. But I mean, I think one of the problems with the Hut Group is that, you know, they, they grew very, very fast and perhaps weren't as well organized down at the basic level as perhaps people thought they were. Um, the building blocks weren't necessarily quite right. Um, anyway, that's you know, it's a very interesting space. Anybody actually wants to um, talk to us more about this, then do, because I'm finding it quite interesting. And obviously, we love the whole brand sector. We're about to do an IPO of a, a new brand's cash shell with some management that are exceptionally well known. They're names that people will know. When we when we can announce it, we will. Uh, that could be very exciting. Um, don't know if you've got anything else you want to say on that, Phil? I'll just quickly on the on the global e-commerce market is that uh, Andrew's right. It's a six trillion dollar market. Um, the China market is one point seven trillion, and that's why Samarkand is focused there and uh, and doing very well. Yeah, I mean, it's actually made a little point there because the the uh, the China market clearly is huge. There are some people who are a little bit concerned about what's what's going on in in, in China with this sort of prosperity for all policy. Um, but I think the, the, if anybody's going to get hit in that market, it'll be the big big brands, you know, the Gucci's, the 
these sort of people, very expensive ones, Ferrari. Um, the sort of brands that these guys are doing are, are small brands, small ticket items, and they will continue. I don't see an issue there at all. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Right. So, right. Uh, we probably should do some results, maybe. Uh, what you got in the yeah. results column this week, so to speak? Uh, Cerulean. This is uh, ticket is CER, market cap £244 million. Pounds, uh, and they have a trading update for their financial year ending uh, September. Um, and they, and I've met Cerulean before, really good company. Uh, this is uh, Telecom Software. Uh, and it's software for billing and charging, uh, customer relationship management software. Um, and they, you know, they, they support telecoms companies, obviously, but also utilities, financial services. And they've got over 90 customer installations across 40 countries um, for their software. So clearly there's a market need for what they do. Uh, and they are, they're very successful at it. And they've... Um, saying in their trading update that they've entered the second half of the financial year with a record level of new orders and record back order book. So that's good news. Uh, they've announced, they've said that they've won two two very large contracts. Um, and they said that their, oh, ah, here we are, yeah, profit before tax expect to be significantly higher than the current consensus market forecast. So there you go. That's uh, and they've, and they've got cash as well. We've got 13 million in cash. So that was a, a very good trading update from Cerulean. Um, and Netcore, I don't know if you know that company, Andrew. Been around for uh, a while. I know of it, but I didn't see the results. So tell me more. Yeah, Netcore had a, uh, which results were this? I think it was full year. But anyway, let's just quickly go into this. So, so Netcore do is they're best known for their uh, contact center um, management software and the way that phone calls are queued up, handled and prioritized. Um, but they've also developed a, a software platform that uses something we know about. This is intelligent automation and customer engagement solutions. So what's this all about, Andrew? Well, things like you only get the chat bots on websites when you want to interface with customer service. Um, they also have uh, artificial intelligence, and that includes robotic process automation. Uh, so I like Blue Prism, and this is where you are very, very intelligently handling things like uh, emails, um, interfacing with very large ERP systems, finance systems, and automating payments, uh, for instance. But I, they, they give, uh, just in terms of their results, um, their, uh, their cloud-based business had seen their sales up 26% and um, their contract value, contract value was up 10%. So that was a good, you know, good set of revenue growth and that fed through the profits and they were up 21% to, to £5 million. Pounds. But uh, there was, it's well worth a look. I was looking at their website and some of the examples of their work. So for instance, they did, now this is robotic process automation, Andrew. This is where you know, the, the, the computer kind of takes over from the human being in terms of very, you know, being able to pre-program to very quickly do things that humans would do. One of their examples is um, organising seating at major events. Uh, and in fact, you know, in terms of COVID, you have to space people out. Um, you have, you know, recurring events happening in theatres, concert venues, whatever it is. And on one of these, called it Night of the Proms, um, series of concerts needed uh, manual seating organisation, and it took uh, to, to organise 30,000 customers. Seven people worked 12-hour days 
and it's a per reseating arrangement of one minute 40 seconds and they did it using rpa robotic software and this was for a 63,000 booking event that took 14 seconds per seat that, so. uh, i love that it's a great uh, stat uh, i had to uh, i often wonder whether I, I can't decide whether i like talking to these robot what, what do you call them chatbots yeah chatbots uh, because I find them quite frustrating sometimes because they don't always understand what I'm trying to say, but I think that could be my problem, not their problem. Uh, and I know that we've been looking at this whole sort of robotic processing AI. There's some quite interesting small companies coming up, similar to Blue Prism, um, because it does speed up things. What was it we were talking to someone the other day that just if you if you've got a you know a sip or something with a Hargreaves Lansdowne, you want to move it to AJ Bell, maybe because Hargreaves Lansdowne won't yeah. do Actress and AJ Bell does. But it takes 30 days or something for Hargreaves Lansdowne just to respond to your request to move, let alone actually move it. Um, by the way, if I've said something wrong about Hargreaves Lansdowne there or AJ Bell, please ignore it. I was used to doing it as an example. All right, so don't get the lawyers onto me quite yet. But I mean, but apparently this sort of uh, robotic processing, whatever, you, you can put it into the system and it speeds the whole things up and you get a reply within about 30 minutes or something. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. What what they do is, and why you know, I can imagine some of the large ship providers maybe look at this technology, is it almost takes a, takes an email inquiry and it can pre-filter, um, you know, what what's being done and to sort things out, sort inquiries out, prioritise them. But it can be robotic process automation can be applied to all sorts of things, where it's kind of repetitive tasks. The same sort of information is coming up. Um, uh, or there's the similar sorts of data need filled in or each time in a transaction, whatever that transaction may be. And so, uh, yeah, it's being increasingly used, big, big market opportunity. And, and, you know, not surprising, Blue Prism has been acquired. Mm. Well, I've seen the opportunity, yeah. Now, look, one other result, uh, and actually I think they had a, they may have had a webinar call today, which I was supposed to do, but I never did. Uh, but you may have done was AMTE, which we've discussed a bit on here, and that they had results at the beginning of the week. You've got any thoughts there, Phil? Or if you um, haven't, I've caught you out. <laughs> should, you, no, have you caught me out? No, 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 not at all. Um, they've got uh, this is battery text, lithium ion, sodium ion, um, battery cells, and they would, yeah, it's their full year results they announced, didn't they? And they've yeah. said that they've um. I don't know, there were some interesting highlights in there. They'd uh, been involved in a new government-funded um, project, which is uh, based on lithium-ion tech uh, for automotive. And on the steering group for that, they've they highlighted that BMW and Arrival on that, that project group, which was interesting. They're involved, part of the framework agreement uh, with the UK Battery Industrialisation Centre. So there's a few things going on. Uh, seems to be making headway on battery. Hmm? They lost 3.1 million pounds. Not that's you know when you're a startup you're gonna lose money, so it's not really a criticism there. I tell you what worries me. You know we yeah. know Bill, that to develop one new battery is incredibly hard and takes a lot of time and money. To try and develop three new batteries is like whoa. I just think it's too much myself. I, I think there's a webcast. I need to go and listen to it, and we would love to go and yeah. meet the management. Could somebody listening to this please introduce me to the management? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's not more. It's nonetheless, it's in, could be interesting technology. It'd be nice to find out a bit more about it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Just quickly moving on before I miss this one. Um, here's a company that is classic UK, very well established, been on for a long, long time. I think, uh, as your family owns and still is, is FW Thorpe. 
come across those before, Andrew? It's lighting. Lighting I, technology. I, I, I certainly do, and I'll tell you why. I've got FW thought in my mother's IHT portfolio that I run, and their pre-tax profits were up 26% this week. They put in a final divvy of 4.31 and a special divvy of 2.2p. My mother was delighted, and they said <laughs> they had a very solid start to the year. So... Um, by the way, I do run my mother's IHT portfolio, but I actually run it with my brother, who's a fund manager, and we do it almost purely on a quant basis, not a uh, not looking at the company. So half the stocks that she owns, I don't even know what they do. But there you go. I did spot FW Thought, you see. That caught you by surprise, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah, well done you. But uh, yeah, <laughs> very good. A very good set of results from that. Yeah. Catch me out, Phil. Uh, well, now, not a result, but news. Uh, and I think it's, it was quite big news, actually, although the market maybe didn't realise. But um, IP Group announced that Alan Aubrey, that the CEO, was stepping down. Also, Mike Townend, the, the FD. You know, these guys basically built IP Group. Um, so it's actually pretty big news that they're stepping down. I actually think IP Group's now got so big and is so well established that it's fine. And maybe that slightly entrepreneurial spirit, it is time to move to a more, you know, bigger company type scenario. But I thought that was quite big news. Yeah, what a yeah, and I remember it. You know, well, you do. But in the early days when it started off, and people were saying, "Oh, what are you going to do with the university spin out? How do you build it?" It's a, I thought, what an amazing success! Well done, them. Yeah, they have. I mean, I think Alan's done a great job there. Yeah, that's tremendous. Um, any other results you want to comment on, Phil? Uh, no, that's it's a bit, bit thin on the results front. Um, well, I'm going to bring up something, actually, because you sent me a very interesting article, and I'm going to get your, your take on it, because I know that you just cannot resist reading. I think it was, was it the Engineering Monthly or something? Yeah. Uh, and this is not a Have I Got News For You, fill in the blanks uh, competition. Um, but tell me why you sent me that article and, and who you think it, it bodes well for. Is this the article? Sheffield on... Forge Masters. Right. The MOD okay. are going to put £400 million because they bought it out of receivership into Sheffield Forge Master, basically because it supports their submarines. Correct. Um, this was an article in The Engineer, which for all you budding engineers out there, but interested in industry, I advise it. It's a super website. It's a great publication. Um, and yeah, they highlighted the news that the MO, so Sheffield Forge Masters was brought out by the Ministry of Defence because they make critical uh, steel components that go into submarines. Um, and yeah, they, they, the announcement is that they're planning to invest, this is the MOD, uh, £400 million into the company over 10 years. So it's strategic uh, technology for the UK. Uh, and my read across for that was on pressure technologies, who um, we've talked about before that we do we do act for. We do work for pressure technologies. The ticket is PRES. Market carries 26 million, um, and they uh, develop and they make uh, very very large high pressure cylinders um that go into submarines. Uh, they're in the astute fleet. They're also into the um, the dreadnought. The, uh, the Trident, new Trident fleet. So their their cylinders are pretty critical in that they the high pressure air is used uh, for I think for the weapon systems on board. I'm not sure if they use ballast, but uh, yeah, pretty critical components there. And um, they're the only folks in the UK that are making them. Yeah. No, I mean I thought it was a very interesting article. Um, 
Yeah, pressure technology has been pretty quiet recently, um, but I'm sure they will jump into life soon because, of course, we love them also because they're big into hydrogen storage and we 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 like hydrogen storage. We do indeed. Yes, they're working with Shell uh, on uh, hydrogen refueling stations across Europe. And uh, yeah, so cylinders that uh, they're used for the storage. Very good. Uh, anything else you want, Phil, or we call it a day? Because, you know, we're pretty busy. We're just closing up a £40 million fundraising for IPO we're doing. So, uh, yeah, we, we are we are very, very busy. Um, and good to see that Facebook is back up and running on WhatsApp and uh, their engineers have got it all sorted. <laughs> uh, I was, I'm told the instead of WhatsApp, you should use a thing called Signal now. And I, I, somebody told, I said, what? I've only just got to hang on WhatsApp. And they went, Andrew, you are a dinosaur. The BBC was right. <laughs> You're a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> on that note, I will call it a day. And uh, as we always say, if anybody's got any comments on what we've got to say, um, anybody wants to introduce us to interesting companies, anybody wants us to talk about anything, um, we're always open to discussion. You know, this is just me and Phil having a chat, trying to give everybody a little bit of a, an idea of what we're thinking this week. So please do get in touch with us. And Phil, I'll speak to you next week. I will do. Take care.